Welcome to the Pin Leader Podcast, where strategic leaders get straight to the topics, strengthening our awareness and sharpening our minds. The Pin Leader Podcast is produced by Roar, a production division of Maze and Associates LTD. Find out more at www.maysassociatesltd.com. Now here is your award-winning host, Dr. Shan DeGore. Hello and welcome everyone back to the Pin Leader Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about small stuff matters. Small stuff matters. And I have the privilege of having on the show with me today, Mr. Greg Walker, who has 25 years experience working in the information technology field. He's worked for a number of companies and government entities such as Bell Howell, Electronic Data Systems, Apple Computer, and NASA as a contractor. He's held several roles with commercial and governmental space as a software engineer, network engineer, software quality assurance engineer, a senior systems administrator, and systems engineer. He has a bachelor's of science in computer science from Cleveland State and Programming Systems Institute and a number of certifications, which, of course, I'm going to have him explain them as we talk through uh, this show. But we're going to be focusing on the small stuff. I'm excited about the topic because we're going to be talking about space. So at this time, I'd like to welcome Mr. Greg Walker. Hello, Greg. How are you doing, Shonda? Good to talk to you. (laughs) I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. So I am you know, go over your certification. So I know our audience can know what your background is. Okay. So I think the first one I have listed there, uh, one of my certifications is I called ITIL foundation version three. And actually there's an ITIL foundation version four out now that that's a little dated, but basically what ITIL is, it's, it's a framework for uh, managing uh, IT organizations in either business or government, in the government space, there's different aspects of ITIL that uh, basically you study and get a certification with. Basically, what this uh, certification allows you to do is become an expert with uh, information technology processes on how to organize your information technology organization to become efficient as far as providing services to customers in a uh, business or government setting. So uh, the second uh, certification I have is called an Agile Scrum Master. And basically what Agile Scrum is, it's a software development framework that's used to produce software quickly, basically. And that's a very simplified explanation. But uh, what it allows you to do is basically from concept to design to procurement of of, uh, software assets to producing the software. It allows you to do that in a very efficient manner. Uh, It allows you to manage your software projects basically from a very high level all the way down to a detailed level and produce software on a iterative basis as far as what they call two-week sprints where you can adapt to customer requirements quickly and uh, a scrum master basically is a person that's certified to basically provide leadership in that area to software development teams. So those, uh, and I believe the third one I have is a network plus, which is a basic certification for managing uh, and managing networks, computer networks, 
so that's those are my certifications currently that I have. <laughs> well, that's plenty. I just was I'm picturing all of them, and I think with the leadership um, position is is very uh, interesting to me because it's uh, it's something that you what you find is that uh, individuals that lead teams that have so much experience, you've got uh, a lot of weight on your shoulders. And when we talk about leadership, and especially in these areas that are growing are always changing. You know, there's always something new going on with computers. And, you know, in today's episode, we're talking about, you know, some of the pieces that we're finding in space, that even the tracking of some of this and uh, what that looks like and being a leader in that and to alert basically the world on what's going on in space. You know, one of the topic areas that really gets my thought, and I thought this would be great to explore, is a recent... uh, uh, it was a recent story that came out about a tool belt, a tool belt that someone had, it had detached from them in space. And you can now look at it from what I understand in space with a pair of binoculars because it's stuck in a rotating position. You know what I'm talking about? Can you share a little bit about that? I think it's. Yes. The international space station, uh, I believe has some astronauts that we have and I work for NASA we have astronauts populating the International Space Station, a crew of international astronauts from uh, Russia and the United States. They perform uh, with a basic maintenance task on the uh, space station that's in a orbit that uh, that's approximately almost about 200,000 miles above the surface of the Earth. While they're, they're in orbit at 17,000 miles per hour, if you can believe that. And basically, when you're in orbit, that kind of orbit around the Earth is called low Earth, or low Earth orbit. You're, you're basically falling at that speed, but your momentum is keeping you above the atmosphere so you don't burn up. So this, you need to maintain that speed. If your speed drops below basically at 17,000 miles per hour, uh, you'll start falling, and then when you hit the friction of the atmosphere, you'll burn up. So what happened basically was uh, in what they call microgravity, which is a very small amount of gravity because you're, again, you're going, once you leave the space station, you're still moving at 17,000 miles per hour. If you drop anything, that momentum carries that whatever you dropped at that same speed, and then uh, you're in microgravity, it's orbiting the Earth. Eventually, the friction of the atmosphere will slow it down, and it will eventually, the tool bag, is, which we're talking about, will burn up. But until that happens, until the, enough friction of the atmosphere slows it down enough where it starts falling again, you can view this with binoculars um, if you calculate the orbit. I think the way to calculate that, they have programs that tell you where the Base station will come over your home. Uh, you can calculate that or download something for your iPhone that will tell you, hey, you know, the space station will be orbiting over your house from south to west or east to west at this time, and you can view the space station. Well, they said the tool, tool bag would probably be, oh, maybe about 20, 30 seconds ahead of the space station as it comes over, so you'll have to keep a lookout for it. And basically what you're going to see is reflective sunlight off of the tool bag. And you could probably see this at night 
it was a good clear night with binoculars. So I, I was going to say there's it's it really the small stuff as we we're saying does matter because it is dangerous to have this there. Is that right? Yes, it is. Anything that's in orbit could come in contact with that. And remember when I said these things are moving as over 17,000 miles per hour to maintain a, a stable orbit, that is pretty fast. So imagine something hitting you, even a small screw uh, moving at 17,000 miles an hour. I mean, that's going to cause catastrophic damage. That's why it could be, you know, any, what they call space debris. And, and uh, the government, NASA, uh, they track the space debris because there's a lot of stuff in orbit now. You have the Chinese, uh, you have the Japanese sending spacecraft. There's a, there's a lot of junk in orbit, and it's become a problem. And NASA has to keep an eye on it. Now, a lot of this stuff does, as it like I said, as it hits atmospheric friction, it burns up into the atmosphere. Um, another thing to keep in mind is the space station has a, has a finite life, so it NASA scheduled that to end, I think, in 2030. So they will have to, what they call, do a controlled deorbit of the space station because if, if they did not do anything, it would start to burn up. But it's so big that huge pieces would land, you know, in an uncontrolled <laughs> deorbit and could possibly land and kill people. So that's why they, they're going to have what they call a controlled deorbit of the space station. Hopefully it'll crash into the sea, but that's in 2030. Oh, well, that's not too far away from here. No. <laughs> so you can see the tool bag with a good pair of binoculars. Uh, I would say it, uh, it'd be more difficult with a telescope because the telescope has a, has a, um, the angle of view is, is more narrow and it's harder to uh, span the sky with a telescope. You have to be pretty accurate with a set of binoculars and hold, hold the, hold it steady to see the tool bag. So as someone who's tried this, I cannot keep track of where things are in the sky. You know, if it's rotating or moving, I can't do it. I I can't see it. Well, well you can download uh, uh, programs for your iPhone or, or your Android device that will that actually, uh, you would type in ISS space station and it will tell you the times and the uh, sector of the sky to look for the pass of the orbit of the International Space Station. So you you can have the program do the calculations for you and it will tell you and you just have to go outside at, at, at that particular time and and use your compass on your phone and point point to the direction where it says the it will be coming over the horizon. And then you would what it looks like, it looks like a fast moving star, real bright, you would be able to see it. And if you have good powerful binoculars, you would actually be able to make a detail of the space station. It it does pass over pretty fast. Remember, I said it's moving at seventeen thousand miles an hour. So. Yes, that's amazing speed. Yes. So, um, but I would recommend anybody get one of these programs to try try it out on your your Android or your iPhone and uh, see would see if you can see it. You, you can see it with the naked eye. Like I said, it just looks like a star. That's really passing over real fast. So I've tried it with just the plain night sky and seen it passing quickly. Then I've tried it with my telescope. I can't keep it in the trajectory because I'm not sophisticated enough to have the, uh, it's not, um, there's not a machine or a computer attached to the telescope because I understand you can get those and you can track it. So I'm going to have to go to the old fashioned way with the phone and do my best, but I do want to see it, and it'd be interesting to see the tool bag 
uh, that <laughs> in space. Yeah, I would recommend binoculars. They're they're a little ch cheaper than a telescope, but if you get decent ones, you you should be able to see it because you you really don't need the power that a telescope provides to see it because, like I said, it's in low Earth orbit. So um, you should be able to see it with a good set of binoculars, like the ones you would take to a football game or something like that. So, so not much to worry about. Not much to worry about. Just uh, I right. just want to make sure when you say low orbit, it's truly not in our, uh, where it fly zones. It's definitely up above. Oh, where, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah, hundreds of thousands <laughs> of miles <laughs> up. Above. Yeah. Yeah, above what do you advise if anyone's interested in uh, space or, you know, for those that are like, I'm interested in learning more about space? Because, again, you see these articles and information that comes out about space garbage and tracking. And this is not a conversation that was had 30, 35 years ago, at least not openly in the public. Can you, right. what, what would you advise someone who is aspiring to learn more about this? Well, if, if they're just... If they want to do this as a hobby, I would recommend, you know, subscribing to NASA has a Facebook page. NASA has a website where they, they put out bulletins and information for the public. If you're thinking about a career working with space, there's, there's various avenues, a lot more avenues now than when I was a child. At NASA, we have a internship program where college students can apply and you get actual real world experience in the summers working at a NASA facility. On, on real projects. Anybody can apply. I think the, there's even a, uh, a website called usa.gov.jobs that you can you can uh, apply on there, or you can go to a, a NASA website and do a search for NASA internship program if you're interested in a career with NASA. There's also now we have Avenue, we have something called a military branch called the Space Force now. Yes, yes we do. People can join that. <laughs> And uh, you were mentioning tracking. They're, the Space Force, that's part of their job, is to track threats to the United States. So, um, And they use the latest technology to track and catalog threats, and which would probably be spy satellites and things like that. You, you would need a security clearance. So you, you have to have a very clean background to get a security clearance. Um, I have a clearance called a public trust, which I had to undergo uh, an extensive check, background check, to to do the job that I do at NASA, which is in the information technology field. But that that's something that's open to young people now, Space Force. And again, you, you can work for SpaceX. That's a commercial entity, that Elon Musk company. You can work there. And, and SpaceX has a contract with NASA to develop space capsules and rockets to basically go to the space station. Also, they're developing space suit technology. They're developing a lander for our Artemis moon mission. So a young person would have an opportunity, if they're interested in space, to work for SpaceX. Mm -hmm. It's a very competitive market, but uh, you can, you know, you can, you can get your education and then try to work for SpaceX after you graduate or internship there. So there's there's various avenues if you're interested in this as a career to get into space technology, or if you just want to do it as a hobby, you can follow NASA on the various uh, internet web pages and. Get yourself a telescope. I recommend anybody get a telescope or a good set of binoculars and just go out and, you know, look look at the sky, you know. Mm -hmm. I know that they say the fall is a good time uh, to do that when the, it's a little bit colder at night uh, to catch some of the stars. 
And again, I think the space station has flown over our home a few times and going out and catching it. These are, again, conversations you wouldn't have had 30, 40 years ago. And even the, the width the, uh, of how much you can get involved. I think you're, to your point, Greg, the, the field is so much more open, both on the private and the public side, uh, because of the advancement of technology and then leaders working collaboratively together, uh, which is really critically important. Yes, yes. Um, when I when I started, I started in the commercial space in information technology, and uh, probably since 2011 is, is when I started with NASA. And it was interesting because I came from the commercial side, and I had really did not have a clue really how NASA operated or how the government operated. There's a lot. The government's a lot different from the commercial commercial side, and uh, so some of the first projects I worked on with NASA was something called Bring Your Own Device to Work project. I actually published a white paper on that for NASA, and that project was basically bringing your own computer and IT to devices to use in the NASA environment. And the challenge of that was that how do you use your personal devices in a secure environment? And NASA is a very secure environment where mm -hmm. you have to be because they have a lot of uh, what I call secret stuff. So, <laughs> so the project I worked on, um, what, what ended up happening was um, one of the, the leaders on the project, he was looking for new engineers and nobody really wanted to work with him at the time. They didn't really understand this project and I was new. So basically it got dumped in my lap, but it became something very interesting to work on. And I got to really work with some nice technology and, and some fine people on the project and got to actually produce a white paper for NASA that, uh, you know, for a new person coming in, it was really a good opportunity. So basically I took, I took advantage of the opportunity. And then I, I worked with NASA on some, what they call a conceptual modeling laboratory. I was, I was the system administrator for that laboratory, which I provided all the IT support for that laboratory. And it was interesting because basically we, we got to model missions to, in a conceptual basis, missions to Mars, missions to Europa. Uh, we did 3D printing of a spacecraft in that laboratory. And basically these, these were conceptual models of how we would basically launch a submarine, drill through the ice of Europa and launch a submarine to probe the oceans of Europa, which is a moon of Jupiter. So I got to basically see all of this technology and, and I got to talk to scientists. I talked to some of the uh, scientists that worked on the Viking mission. They would come in, into this laboratory and meet and discuss things. And I sit on as a peer and talk to them about some of the past Mars missions. So it, it was very interesting work that I got to uh, perform when I first hired in. I, I was really shocked by that somebody that's brand new that gets these kind of opportunities but that that's what happened so it's 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 mm -hmm. really was nice well i think that speaks volumes about your willingness to try something different that other people might have been a little shy uh, to attempt to do and I, that brings uh you know with leadership you're a leader in your field there's a reason why you're a leader in your field because you take those chances and opportunities to go out and try something that's different and new uh, you know, that's, uh, I think when you look at uh, being an effective leader, because you obviously are, you've been working in this field for a long time. You've actually encouraged others to work in the field you did today as, as you've done in the past. 
you know, what is it that you look for on your teams uh, when you look at leaders that come in? And what what are the characteristics of an effective leader? Yeah, I, I've been a leader, a manager. I was a manager at a company called Bell & Howell um, in, in a division that uh, basically developed and invented the electronic, what they call electronic parts catalogs. So in, in, in that position, what, what I would always look for in any of my leadership would be somebody with strategic vision. And when I, when I say strategic vision, it would be somebody who can, who basically thinks different. They can see, they can, they can see trends. They can, they, they value inputs from uh, their employees. And also they have the ability to not micromanage. They, they have the ability to basically scout out good talent and hire good talent to implement their strategic vision in a tactical manner. So I would say they're, they're, they're a good judge of talent. You have a great leader that basically, that's, that's one of the most important things, be a great judge of talent. Also be able to see uh, trends in, in the industry that you're in. Um, when I say trends, you can look out five years in the future and kind of anticipate the challenges and the changes coming to your industry and also look for opportunities. So I think those are some of the most important things is a good judge of talent and, and be able to anticipate and have that strategic vision at least five, four or five years down the road of, of your industry. Also going with that uh, person, a good leader would be a people person where they, again, as part of hiring the best people, you, you know how to keep those people engaged and, and performing at a high level and interested in the work they're doing. So again, I, I always found poor leadership is a person that has to micromanage because that, that means you haven't, you're not a good judge of talent and you don't trust the people that you've put in place to perform your tactical, um, the tactical vision from your strategic vision. So that's basically what I call uh, and define as good leadership. Well, thank you for that. I, I would agree with you. I think that um, strategic vision is very important and strategic planning that goes along with that is critically important. There are individuals who are just managing either businesses or they're managing situations just day to day, but not really looking or trying to sit down and set those goals with action items that go with it um, and then measure them. And so it's really in, very important for the leader to have that vision. But I, I want to say thank you uh, for coming on today to even address this with space. I think people, you know, you look up, uh, you, uh, you may think about what might be in space, but you see movies, but I mean, you're really, you're working in the space that actually deals with space. And so really appreciate your time today. I appreciate you talking to me. Hope to talk to you again. Excellent. Yes. And so for those that are listening today, uh, you know, we, encourage you to do all of these things, go out, explore, you know, there's some great advisement about uh, taking a chance, an opportunity, uh, even something that you may not originally think would be suitable or something that you would normally do to go out and try it. So as always on our show, we want to say thank you for listening uh, as we get straight to the topic points where hopefully we're strengthening your awareness and sharpening your mind at the same time. So until next time, The Pen Leader Podcast is hosted by Dr. Shan DeGore and brought to you by Mates & Associates LTD, creating customized solutions for growth in the areas of leadership development, strategic planning, and culture building. Find out more at www.maysassociatesltd.com.
Don't forget to subscribe to the Pin Leader Podcast and share with others.